Hello, Tim Bellpot listener. I just wanted to throw out a bit of a disclaimer that these early episodes, we were still figuring it out, and we got better in pretty much every way. Definitely audio, storytelling, joke telling, research. So, um, you know, maybe start with episode 20. But if you still want to see what the growing process was like for us, continue listening to these early ones because I could see all that's fun. But um, just know it gets better. Hi guys, I just wanted to let you know that since the last disclaimer, we've gotten so much better at making disclaimers. Like for example, um, this one has lasers. This one has some dinosaurs. I even talk like a robot in this one. And if you want to listen to an episode like without any disclaimers, I would say um, maybe like 27, I think Bruiser Brody, I think that was like the first episode where we figured out kind of, oh, this is what we do. So yeah, no disclaimers on that one. Um, I mean, you can listen to this old ass episode. I wouldn't, you know, and I fucking wrote it and edited it and researched it. And All right, well, uh, enjoy this episode. This is the Man Scout Jake Manning, and today's episode of 10 Bell Pod is brought to you by... The 10 Bell Pod Patreon, guys. Guys, I hope you've been like contributing to the Patreon. I'd really like you guys to be patrons of this podcast, which all you have to do is just go to patreon.com backslash 10 Bell Pod. 10 is in the numbers, bell, and then pod instead of podcast because we're cool. Get out there, support, and we appreciate the support if you already have. Now, let's get into today's episode of 10 Bell Pod. wrestling nerddom when you discovered the internet you found these message boards and you had to be a part of them to share your stupid ass thoughts and it took probably 30 to 45 minutes to come up with the right name that you were always proud of that would be kind of witty kind of smart but show who you're a fan of and i had three big ones when i first grew up i think there were different boards i had uh the mothership for dusty for wcw saturday night I had the Lincoln Crippler, which we'll talk about on a different episode. And then I had Spicoli Driver. Because Louie was the first wrestler that I remember hearing about dying that had a profound effect on me. And then Dreamer picked up the Death Valley Driver made a Spicoli Driver. So I was like, fuck yeah, I'm Spicoli Driver. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You were Spicoli Driver? I was Spicoli On wrestling me- message boards? Yeah. I fucking hated every opinion you posted. <laughs> I swear to God. Like, and I'm pretty sure you trashed my early matches. You probably said, like, oh, this man, this Jake Manning guy, he's doing a lot of erratic fist bumps trying to get over these I baby mean, can face. you just do a serious match? It's always about the funny gimmick. Like, God, just do something serious. And then my third match in where I just picked somebody up, whips them off, did a move, pick them up again, and they gave some sort of power bomb. You gave that match four stars. But when I actually try and tell a story, two and a half. Man, I love spots. Uh, I just love spots. The Lincoln, the uh, Lincoln, t- Lincoln? 
Le, the Lincolnton Crippler. The Lincolnton, yeah, th- thank you for not glazing the, by that and driving by that. The, the, I, I know that seems like the, my issue is the less serious, but thank you for jumping on that. The Lincolnton Crippler sounds like an unsuccessful serial killer. Like he's just wounding a lot of people. No, he named himself, and he like yeah, he didn't quite get there, but he's like, no, I'm the Lincolnton Crippler. It's like you don't get to name yourself, dude. So uh, I wanted to ask, did you guys remember any of your uh, message nerd board names? I know Nick had some. I posted on wrestling forum for a long time until i got permanently banned <laughs> even though i had a lifetime membership uh, it was it was what you're gonna do brother but spelled out all weird that was you yeah. jesus I, you hated my matches I, too I, i'm scared to say my current name because i still post sometimes and i don't want that to get back to me Jake, any... I've note? always been high spots underscore TV. Oh, so I, I've been a company shill since day one. <laughs> yeah, fifth grade, even, fifth grade he, you got hired by high spots. Yeah, even, yeah. well, I bought wrestling boots and all of a sudden, hey, I work here now. Like, that's <laughs> literally my history. Here's your receipt and your contract to work with the company. Pretty much. Pretty much. All right. Live from the Manning Cave, it's Tim Bell Pie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to switch it up. Uh, oh, no, no. Keep, keep it going, because uh, my other podcast <laughs> hates it when I refer to the Manning Cave. Oh, God. Uh, do they the know taste, thing. or do they know? None. Nuts whatsoever. <laughs> I am Nick Alexander, joined as always by Michael Loving. I'm, uh, I'm going to do the SNL guy. Yeah, geez, yeah it's pretty good. I'm just going to, I don't know, make yeah. a weird face. <laughs> and we are here in the Manning Cave at the same man time, at the same man place, with the man scout Jake Manning. The one and the only right here. Getting shit on by both of you guys. Message <laughs> nine years ago. Let me say up front that the universe did not want us to record this podcast. Nah. They uh, tried. Tried valiantly. Jake, your grandmother, aunt? passed away grandma that grandma, grandma passed oh, away gosh. that was that was strike one then the next weekend we were gonna record i got super sick i couldn't even talk yesterday got hit by another car head-on oh so, so it wasn't your fault i was scared to ask no, no it wasn't like, my fault am i gonna make fault. nick more depressed if so, i make it his fault this this podcast is an abomination to god and I am sure that the file will be corrupted, or we're just going to die in the middle of it. No, no, the power's going to go out here. <laughs> and let's keep in mind, I didn't do anything to delay this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Micah is the only one, so we will be doing an episode well, on Micah soon. Well, I mean, is Micah really living life? Is that really the thing? I think that's the issue with, with you and I, Nicholas. We're out here living life, having grandmas True. and stuff, and then Micah over here just... Shut hey, up if you like stay in your room and watch movies all the time, you're fine. <laughs> well, well I'm, I'm guilty of that, of that as well. I don't go out on Saturday nights anymore. I just meet parade. That's all I do. <laughs> That's true. So as they pulled my body out of the burning wreckage, all I could say to the EMS worker was, please leave a review for 10 Bell Pod on iTunes and make it five stars. Don't you internet bully us. Today, we have a bit of a cautionary tale, a tragedy about a good wrestler, and by, from what I could tell, I seemed like a decent dude. So let's say again up front, if you suffer from any addictions, there's help out there. Go get it. This story doesn't end happily, like all our podcasts, I guess. The guy we're talking about today was an extra on 90210. He is the alleged inventor of the Death Valley Driver. Mm. He wrestled in Mexico, Japan, WWF, ECW, WCW. He was Louis Spicoli. Or as Dusty Rhodes called him, Louis Spicoli. <laughs> Before we get into the story, I wanted to ask you guys, especially Micah, who I know was a big Louis guy, to explain his wrestling style to people who maybe only saw him as a job guy or as Rad Radford. 
Louis was one that I've I saw when I was watching him in more when we were doing research that he would do whatever type of match needed to be done. Like when he was a job guy, he would put the guy over beautifully. Um, he could do hardcore stuff and get moonsaulted through a table on the outside by Sabu. He could chain wrestle with Chris Candido, which, I mean, it, him working in Mexico, he learned Lucha Libre. I mean, he incorporated it all and wanted to learn it all because he grew up with the passion. So I think when you grow up with a passion and an art that young, you want to learn all the good aspects of every type of wrestling. Well, also, too, like, I think with one of the things that made him successful in Mexico is he's a good base. For all those guys flying around, you need right. somebody oh, that's going to be there to yeah. catch. And also, too, catching dives. That's one of the things that somebody told me very early on, like, hey, if you want to wrestle in Mexico, just learn to ca- how to catch everybody's <laughs> dives. So immediately, I went out there and I, I took it as a matter of pride of catching everybody's dives. Wow. And then I come to realize I was the only person catching dives. <laughs> and then I start doing dives myself and I go, yep, that's oh, a true yeah. fact. Nobody catches dives. Um, so that's why it's such a, a hot commodity is somebody who knows how to catch dives. And Louis most certainly is that. A nice, big, yep. barrel-chested guy, which I didn't realize it when looking at his um, Wikipedia page. He was only 5'11". Yeah, he's, he was... Uh, yeah. Pretty medium size, but he was stock. He was medium size. Medium size. They listed him at 258 pounds, yeah. which is at one point in time I was like 260, and I'm 5'11. So at one point in time, me huh, and Louis Spicoli were, uh, were the same size. <laughs> um, after I was done in Las Vegas, after playing poker for eight hours a day every day, I was also 250 pounds, <laughs> but it was not good. It was not a stocky. It was a perfect bowling ball in my stomach. Well, you did good, Nick. You did you're good. a little bit taller. I'm sure you wore it a little bit, yeah, a little bit and he fit in more with Vegas card yeah. too. <laughs> all right so uh Louis Mochiolo Jr. was born February 10th 1971 in Los Angeles California Louis was a lifelong wrestling fan he loved guys like Piper Savage Bret Hart good taste he wanted to become a pro wrestler but he had no idea how to get trained since he couldn't just google it back in the day louis went to a show at the los angeles memoriam sports arena and during intermission he approached wild man jack armstrong asking him for advice and jack passed him over to ring announcer big bill anderson Big Bill was a wrestler himself. He was a uh, one-time NWA Los Angeles TV title holder. He was enhancement talent for the WWF. Bill was also a trainer, and he had a hand in training two of the biggest names in pro wrestling, the Ultimate Warrior and Sting, so obviously a huge corporate lobbyist for big face paint. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, and it's funny, I've always heard, you know, Billy Anderson, like, always heard his name and heard his entire resume and i've always been like oh that's just the west coast version of george south uh. that's, that's, so every time i hear billy anderson I'm like oh that's just the west coast version of just just like in the same sense when you see man scout jake manning like oh that's the east coast version of joey ryan like that just <laughs> transformed the way in my brain it's like the east coast woody allen is the west coast albert brooks but without all the you know the fucking child no, stuff no, the marrying years that you know about hey albert brooks is a good guy maybe maybe so after talking to bill louie got his business card he called him up less than a week later Three days after his 17th birthday, Louis began training to become a pro wrestler. And after training for just two and a half months, Louis got sent straight to WWF. That's insane. Uh, he started working as a job guy at 17 years old. And I wanted to ask, out of all the workers in the country at the time, 
why? How did he? How did yeah. would he get this opportunity? Well, I mean, I think he said in his shoot interview he was the one guy that had boots available. I remember that, but it was that was in a school. I'm talking about in the whole country. They caught up this 17 year old kid. Why? Well, they, they probably called up Billy Anderson, like, hey, we need some guys for TV, and. Just... and None of the other guys had boots, so Billy's like, well, anybody who's got boots, because that's the time like when East Coast version of Billy Anderson, uh, Italian Stallion and George South, they were bringing the Hardy Boys because they had gear. Yeah. They were they were also like getting guys that worked at gas stations and giving <laughs> them like like leopard print, uh, singlets, and boots, and just like, hey, uh, go have Nikolai Volkov beat the crap out of you <laughs> for three minutes. Just, no. just bump and fall down. I mean, that was always the thing, especially when Ole Anderson would book Georgia. He's just like, I just need a different face. Yeah. And that's why Mike Jackson would just like get guys that barely knew anything about wrestling whatsoever and like I said pull it from the gas station literally like on the way to the show always like I need a different face I need different people every time <laughs> so they would just find people on the way to the show and be like hey you want to wrestle on TBS and sure mm. and then they would get the shit beat out of them by the Steiners or what Midnight hell, Express man? and that's just how it was and they just wanted different people in there because if they do it on a regular basis then they become like Barry Horowitz how young do you get kids <laughs> training in the high spots now do you get about seventeen year old, sixteen, fifteen. Um, I mean, we've we've had kids as young as fourteen. We, you know, we've had a few twelve year olds. We've had sixteen year olds. Uh, consistently get a lot of seventeen year olds, but there's a lot of you know. I think we lean more towards preferring them to start at eighteen. Right. We kind of kind of push them like once you wait till like <laughs> yeah. at least eighteen, um, for a lot of different reasons, stuff like that. And we you know re-upped our insurance and stuff like that. That was a big thing that they were concerned about was younger kids. And even with a parental supervision and then a waiver as well we still kind of lean into it like hey maybe why don't you wait like a couple more years so but usually you know we get a lot of 17 year olds a lot of 18 year olds come through so after getting caught up by WWF, he began using the name Louis Spicoli, which is a reference to Sean Penn's character in the movie Fast Time at Ridgemont High, Jeff Spicoli. Far out. And I wanted to save this for the recording so that we could all witness Micah yell at me. Never seen it. Never seen it. It's Never. not, I mean. No, it's not good. I mean, I'm not going to yell at you about that one. Nah, it's nah. not as bad as you like. And Glorious Bastards wasn't that good. I was like, did you, <laughs> no, wait, did you watch it while you played poker? And you're like. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you dick. The first match I found of Louie was losing to Ron Bass on WWF Superstars May 10th of 88. But listen to some of the names Louie started out working with pretty much right away. Yeah. Um, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Bad News Brown, he was Big Boss Man's debut match, Mr. Perfect, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, a boy Dino Bravo, Harley Race, Rick Martel, and the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be, Barry Horowitz. Uh, I was going with Jim the Anvil Neidhart. <laughs> well, if you talk to Barry Horowitz, he will, he will agree with that statement wholeheartedly. And if you talk to me as well, I'll agree with that statement wholeheartedly as well. But if you're putting the same guy in the ring with all these bigger guys over and over and over, surely that means the company has like some faith in you, right? Yeah, they're like, obviously this guy can do some stuff and, you know, we, we can count on him. We can rely on him to always make this person look good. And so, like I said, you want a new face, but at the same time, too, you don't want a bunch of idiots. And that's usually what you run into because... Guys are grabbing people from gas yeah, stations. So, some in so there. if you find like a, a diamond in the rough, much like when they found the Hardy Boys, oh, yeah. these kids yeah. will take any bump underneath the sun. Any bump. And we will <laughs> throw them around and it'll look great and they're always going to be there and they'll drive from North Carolina all the way to 
Providence, Rhode Island or Bangor, Maine. Like, <laughs> sure, let's make sure that we use them as much as possible. And I'm sure WWE being based, obviously, on the East Coast, that when they come to the West Coast, they're like, oh, if we go out here and we're taping TV, obviously you got to deal with all types of parameters and just getting a ring there and getting things set up. And, and you want the least amount of headache possible. So you don't want to book a bunch of extra guys that are going to be absolute dog shit. Yeah. So let's let's control the situation and fix the things we know. And we know when we book Louie, we're going to get a good match. Yeah. So let's just make sure that we take care of that right away. That's what impressed me going back and watching all his enhancement talent jobber matches, which is like, I don't think I saw a single itty bitty botch or any awkward movement or anything like every two three minute match he hit all the spots he needed to he made them look good like there wasn't a single damn botch and that was pretty damn impressive and they were actually matches yeah yeah, technically i guess they're squash matches but it's not like today when the new 610 hill monster comes in and like wins in 23 seconds after like absorbing all the offense Mm -hmm. and doing his finisher he was like having good matches, like solid matches where, and it, you know, he just wasn't some stick figure getting crushed by a 400 pounder. Well, when you find somebody of those guys that can do some stuff, they're like, yeah, I want me, you know, do some stuff. Because those guys, some of those guys were in that similar predicament before early in their career. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, let's give him a couple moves. Maybe, maybe the office will see that he's, he's good. And also too, I'm sure Louis was fun to hang out with after the shows. Yeah, so like, like yeah. so like, hey, why don't we give him a, a little extra spot? <laughs> maybe, on, yeah. maybe he can come along and hang out with us and, you know, maybe give him a little bit in this match and then maybe he can be part of the roster. So while working as enhancement talent for WWF, Louie also hit the road a little, working a couple matches in AWA. He even got some time at the Sportatorium at a World Class Brother. Yeah. And uh, he did some work with the UWF. And, and not uh, Bill Watts UWF. Uh, the other UWF, which is run by Herb Abrams. And Herb Abrams <laughs> has the best entry into Wikipedia. <laughs> like, no, I, and let's be honest, I have not scoured all of Wikipedia, but I, I would guess. Top that, five? Oh, easily. Top three. <laughs> let's just go ahead and say top three. And every time the UWF Herb Abrams comes up on any podcast, I feel it's necessary that I read quite possibly the best paragraph <laughs> in all of Wikipedia. So if you guys will indulge me. I am so happy because you are so happy and I don't know what I'm getting into right now. Yeah, and I don't smile, I don't, especially especially when I'm in here in the Manning Cave. It's, it's all business, it's like, but right now I am grinning. The mustache day. might move somewhere, but I don't see teeth. Well, to give you an idea of UWF Herb Abrams, this is, this is all you need to know about the promotion, is this man, <clears throat> Herb Abrams. This is on his Wikipedia page. Uh, This is uh, one of the last paragraphs on the page. And this is referring to Herb Abrams. Before his death, while high on cocaine, (laughs) Abrams was found naked and covered in a Vaseline-type substance, (laughs) destroying furniture with a baseball bat in his New York office. He was in the company of prostitutes at the time. Not long afterwards, he died in police custody of a heart attack. He had cocaine stuck all over his body when he died. This situation is commonly referred to as the American dream. I added that part in there. I feel like I, I typed that into Wikipedia. They keep taking that, that last line off, but I feel like it's appropriate. I mean, it is. <laughs> Jesus. So in uh, 1989, Louis headed down to Tijuana, Mexico with Tim Patterson and his trainer, Bill Anderson, as part of, of the stable Los Mercenarios Americanos. While in Mexico, Louis wrestled 
Conan, and since they kind of broke into the business at the same time, they kind of became pals, and they would like go over matches together and help each other out. And I know it's usually Jake with the cool behind-the-scenes wrestling stories, but at WrestleCon, I worked with Rey Mysterio Jr. and Conan at their table, and Rey could not have been a nicer person. He's just cheerful and happy, and Conan was still pretty nice, but he was like really scary so ray wanted me to go buy him a red bull and he handed me twenty dollars and he asked conan if he wanted anything and he looked at me and said i want a coke just make sure it's cold are you sure he was like i want i want that coke cold just like the last dead body that i saw (laughs) that's that's what i heard Uh, if you've never been to wrestlecon it's like 2,000 wrestling fans and I don't know 300 wrestlers just taking over a ballroom at a hotel so when I went to the store upstairs in the hotel since it was so crazy busy they had just restocked the drink coolers oh shit so every coke in the building was like room temperature warm so I started panicking I went over to the ice machine it was out of ice (laughs) so I stood in this line of like 35 people finally got to the cashier and I was like hey your drinks aren't cold and your ice machine is out of ice Uh, The guy, it was just one person, and he was like, oh, sorry, it's just me, kind of implying, like, there's a hundred customers here. I'm not going to refill the fucking ice machine. As he should. Ha ha, you're going to die by Conan's hands. (laughs) (laughs) I understood, but I was like, no, you're going to get me some ice. It's for Conan, viva la raza. So he went, he got me some ice, and after being in line for, like, 30 minutes, I ran back downstairs, gave Ray his Red Bull and his change, and then I gave Conan his Coke. And a cup of fucking ice and was like, sorry, sir, the drinks were warm and so I got you some ice. And he stared at me for what seemed like 45 minutes and was just like, thanks. If <laughs> 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 that was the time I almost got murdered by Conan. Listen, when I ran Conan's <clears throat> autograph line, nothing but a gentleman, <laughs> sweetheart. A doll of a man. And, and a matter of fact, I was running his autograph line while working the merch table at this convention. And I was just happened to be right next to all these these masks. Yeah. And then people were asking, who's this? Which mask is this? And that's when I was like super on point with which masks are yeah. which and stuff like that. And I'm doing this in front of Conan, which is weird enough as it is. And Conan <laughs> goes, man, you're really good at this. <laughs> and I go, you should be too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, these are all your friends. Yeah. Mask on the table right now. Just, uh, what, yeah. I, what I liked about working that table is that obviously Rey Mysterio is probably one of those famous wrestlers all time. People were losing their shit over Conan. He, he was a you know, god. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. Mexico, I mean, man. he was like holding his own with Rey Mysterio yeah. as far as like people just being like, oh my god. You well, know? he was Max Moon, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's true. Who Louie had a match with. Yeah, yeah which uh, was one of the things when, when Max Moon was going to debut. That he's like when Conan's like I really want Louis to wrestle to make sure this looks good, which is also one two three kid yeah. um, wrestle Louis as well. Ninety one and ninety two, Lou did more enhancement talent spots with people like Shawn Michaels, Jake Roberts, uh, and his hero Bret Hart. May of ninety two, Louis wrestled with Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling in Japan. It's he- FMW, brother. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, come on, or was- Onito's group if you want to get you know he wrestled for Onito over there. Exploding shit. He also wrestled there in 93 before Sabu accidentally got him fired. They were traveling on a bus and the driver would not stop for anything. So Louis really had to pee. So he peed in a bottle. And eventually 
Louis had to pee again, so he poured that bottle out of the window, and Sabu said something like, He's pouring piss out the window, but lost in translation, the driver took it as, Louis is pissing out of the window. (laughs) The driver narked, and he got fired. And as we kind of just mentioned, it was around 1993 when Louis would wrestle 1-2-3 Kid for Kid's tryout match with the WWF. And when X-Pac got hired for a full-time roster spot and Louis didn't, it caused some bad feelings with him in the WWF, especially since X-Pac called him up and gave Louie a lot of credit for how good of a match they had. And this would more or less lead to Louis leaving the WWF for the first time. Well, I like how he's only a few years in and he's just like, you know, the WWF need, needs to respect my ability. <laughs> I just like there's a little bit of. Yeah, I, I, obviously in all these situations, you'd probably feel like, you know, kind of shit or, or get off the pot WWF and hire me. But they're still like, dude, you're a couple years in. Like, <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, dude, you're going to do something with me or what? And I'm like, and you're that young and you're that like, man, this is going great. You're like, like the whole world's going to open up. I don't know if. If I was around during Louis's time, whether I would like him or I'd be like, man, this guy's fucking just really full of himself. Like, I don't know like how I would feel about him because like, like I see guys that get very like after two or three years, they're like, oh, no, I'm I'm a big deal. And that always like frustrates me because mm. even after like 16 years, I still like I hate everything that I do and think <laughs> I don't deserve anything that I get deep down inside. That's how I feel. And so that way after somebody after two years is saying like, oh no, WWF's going to call. I should get a tryout match and all these other things. It gets a little But well, you little never weird. had that moment in the beginning of your wrestling career where you really felt like, yeah, I'm fucking doing good. I'm going to... For like six weeks. <laughs> and then like life humbled me and then... Or you had one bad match and it all... No, not even one bad match. No. It's just Somebody just said no. Oh. <laughs> just... You're wrong, Jake. Yeah, wrong. just somebody in like like probably Centersville, Illinois said, no, we're not going to book you. And and that just maybe uh, fell apart. So. But, you know, he got caught up to the big leagues when he was a kid, when he was 17, and he's been doing solid work for a couple, few years now. So he's got to be a little oh, frustrated. Oh, no, no, I, I, no, I, no I, I, totally, I totally get his frustration. Yeah. He's probably as, as long as he'd been there. I think, you know? he, I think he got set up for unrealistic expectations. A, a like, little bit. Yeah, totally. You're a baby. Here's the world. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're on TV now every day. You know, well, there are veterans out here. You can't vote for the president, but you're on TV. Yeah. doing. But at the same time, too, like, it, it's that's why you need people to like, hey, look at the big picture. Yeah. You're going yeah. to Mexico. You're going to Japan. Eventually, something's going to hit, and they're going to want you, yeah. which ends up happening. Yeah, actually. it does. Yeah. So, 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 nobody, so sometimes you just need somebody to pull off the side, like, hey, man, just, just cool it. But at the same time, too, he probably needed to lay that, that ultimatum, like, hey, do something with me or not, and then that forces him to go somewhere else, right. and that brought him back around. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, it's all progress. Yeah. So after splitting, uh, in 1994, Louie made a very, very quick stop in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, where he faced Tim Bell Pod's best episode, Chris Candido <laughs> for the United States Junior Heavyweight Championship. Not long after that, he went back to Mexico and joined a fairly new promotion at the time, AAA. There, he'd be Madonna's boyfriend, a gimmick where he came out to like a virgin, told people that he was Madonna's boyfriend. What? And I assume adopted several kids from Africa. Uh, I th- oh, yeah, she did that too. I was thinking Jolie. <laughs> well, uh, Sean Penn dated Madonna, right? In the 90s and tied her to a chair and beat the shit out of her. Okay. And <laughs> we can glaze over that story. Um, and then also Sean Penn played uh, Jeff Spicoli. Uh, so then it circles back oh, around my Louis McCauley. think of this you bullshit, God. Exactly. I don't like Jake now. I'm jealous. <laughs> think about that, movie boy. <laughs> 
During this run in Mexico, Louis apparently got on the El Juicio de Steroids oh. because he was jacked out of nowhere. Hey, you didn't make a Taco Bell joke, so I'm uh, proud no of you. Taco Bell jokes. <laughs> Live must. He was also one of the Los Gringos Locos with Eddie Guerrero, Conan, Art Bar, and in AAA, Louis would get a push for the first time in his career. He was making really good money, but he hated living in Mexico. To which I say, if you don't like it, you can get out, S.A. Yeah. We don't need your goddamn Americans coming to Mexico, taking our luchador jobs, eating our mole sauce, Constiero El Muro. I think that means build a wall in Spanish. Probably. <laughs> Lucky for Louis, the eyes of the pro wrestling world were about to be on AAA. At when worlds collide on November 6, 1994. On pay-per-view. The entire show is on YouTube, but unfortunately it was recorded with what seems like a toaster. Uh, <laughs> it's it, quite okay. I've got a, I got a nice copy. Yeah, I'll probably upload it at some point. It's a f- fantastic show. Worlds oh, collide. Dude, dude, there's a five-star match. Was it hair versus mass, two out of three falls with bar and... Guerrero and oh man that match is so fucking good like I have another podcast called how did this get booked where we watch subpar wrestling shows and give it to non-wrestling fans to watch but there's a small part of me that wants to break that formula just to show this just to show this to a non-wrestling fan and be like what do you think about this because AAA in the early 90s was on fire yeah it was pretty great and they were able to like come into LA and draw really big houses in LA but as far as like 92 93 94 like AAA was just just on fire I mean early 90s La Parca also like Los Gringos Locos just unbelievable stuff like just so cool so awesome and Louis just in the mix with all of that it's one of those things, uh, late 90s, when you're listening to Nitro and you listen to Mike Tanay jerk off about every Mexican match and move and everything, and Tanay does commentary on this show, and it's like, oh, yeah. he loved it from the very beginning. It all it all comes together. I remember when I first watched the AAA pay-per-view, I was like, man, Tanay, God bless him. He loves this shit. <laughs> As part of this pay-per-view, Louis would be part of Batala por el Gorio! Which, Go! Uh, Battle for Respect, I think. A uh, six-man tag match with Juventud's dad, Forreza Guerrera, Madonna's boyfriend in psychosis, beating heavy metal Latin lover, and a 19-year-old, Rey Mysterio Jr., who I bought a Red Bull for. Uh, Did I tell the story about how... uh, Uh, Well, and also that match was, like, the breakout moment for Rey Mysterio. That was the exposure uh, to that. Okay. that was the yeah. exposure to an American audience to Rey Mysterio and who this guy was. That was his first exposure to America. So just going back and seeing this, like holy cow, this is this guy's debut event for an American audience, an audience that he's going to entertain for twenty plus yeah, years. Yeah, still doing it, which it, is crazy too, because that match, most of it is Louis is beating the shit out of Rey Mysterio yeah, Jr. Yeah. and like counteracting every one of Ray's dives and catching him and like smacking him on the head and just like it's all Louis and Ray playing off of each other in that match to make Ray look so good well, and, and Louis look so good. And that's the thing where that Louis thought about with this pay-per-view that you know WWE's going to see this pay-per-view yep. and they're going to want me. Yeah. So not only is in this match that features a future breakout star he's also getting involved in run-ins and te- in another tag match he's seconding people and stuff like that so like he's all over this paper louis not a huge guy but 
the commentators and the the match itself kind of put him over as like a monster because he was just catching all these lucha guys yeah. and like kind of stopping them in their tracks. Like but, I said, a good post, a guy who can get heat up on you. That's all you need when you're wrestling like a luchador, especially in Mexico. Catch my dive, be there for my Rana, and just beat me up and get enough heat so that way when I make a comeback, people care. Just for crazy spots in the match. Louis is laying on the outside on the floor and Ray hits a swanton bomb from the top rope to the outside onto the floor. It's fucking brutal. The match is nuts. It's a lucha match. It's just people <laughs> flying all over the place. And then it ends <laughs> <out> like a <laughs> fucking armbar. It's a it's a Kimura. And, Dude, it's a Kimura and he taps and you're and the, even the commentator's like, I, I I think the match is over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was fucking so weird. <laughs> So after crushing it on that pay-per-view, nine days later, WWF's J.J. Dillon calls up Louie, and they offer him an actual roster spot. So Louie goes in, he has his creative meeting with Vince, and he pitches being a L.A. rich kid, kind of in the styling of his favorite show, 90210. And he thought that's what they were going to go with when he left the meeting. However, when he showed up for his first TV taping, they told him he was going to be billed from Seattle, Washington. In his new plaid shirt, he was going to be the grunge rock-loving Rad Ratford. Which is basically when Eddie Vedder fucks Andy Richter. <laughs> Rad even wrote an album review column for WWF Magazine. <laughs> he played up being in love with Courtney Love, which, whew, luckily he wasn't. He really dodged a literal bullet that would have been framed as a suicide. Ah, uh, you know, he killed himself, Nick. He killed himself. <laughs> oh, that's, this, is for, this is a different podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, that's so, for the Soaked in Bleach podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's not a bad idea. Now super jacked with a new gimmick and a sweet Northern Lights suplex finisher, Louie would start getting a few wins on shows like WWF Superstars. He'd have singles matches with very young Jeff and Matt Hardy beating them, as well as beating Man Mountain Rock. However, I wouldn't say it was like a full-blown push, because he was still losing the people like yeah. Haku and Adam Bomb. He was just a jobber with a gimmick. I, I guess. Mean, uh, I mean, he was a little bit more. He was a I guy. A bunch. He was a guy that you could put on main event of Action Zone, main event of Superstars. Yeah. It's getting enough traction. But when he goes to Raw, wrestles on Raw, he's going to be putting somebody <laughs> yeah. else over, yeah. or definitely on pay per view. You're just going to get just enough heat to to get over with this guy. I mean, he's kind of placed right in the middle, and just to just kind of see what happens. It makes sense. And also, too, this is like time of the click and there's so much fighting at the top and stuff like that so there's there's all these guys fighting up at the top and i'm sure louis like i'm just happy to have a job <laughs> i just kind of like i just want to have good matches yeah. so people that are fighting for the top <clears throat> are gonna be like i want to work this guy that's gonna make me look good it doesn't care if he loses <laughs> come on get in here buddy and <laughs> like, am i wrong take that l and he's like yeah i just wrestled <laughs> i just wrestled bret hart awesome great cool <laughs> and you gave me stuff perfect yeah and was that wrong or did he is his theme music the head what would become the headbangers theme music yeah I, like really like watching right. matches it, it seems like i think this is the headbangers yeah they, uh, they definitely recycled stuff yeah, yeah they do that a couple times uh kurt angles was mm. used i think by the patriots yes. right oh um, shit yeah they reused briscoe and patterson's music for hulk hogan that's backwards. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I was like, wait. 
Sorry, I want to bring up the one point that uh, they would say he's like a big fan of Hull, world champion of mosh pits, but they would also do in the commentary that he would follow the Grateful Dead around in a shitty van. And I don't really get the the, the crossbreed yeah. of the the grunge thing with the Grateful Dead. Well, obviously the commentators didn't either. <laughs> yeah. so that's, that's that's why that was said. And I think Jim Ross was like, ah, Grateful Dead. That's <laughs> it's, it's Vince being like, disco's still cool, right? Yeah. Jerry Garcia hangs out with Cobain all the fucking yeah. time. And actually, in the falls, Rat Radford follows on Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> So one of the biggest moments, I guess, of this run and of Louis's time in WWF, he would be part of the October 23rd, 1995 Monday Night Raw 20-man battle royal to become the number one contender at Razor Ramon's Intercontinental title. And to my knowledge, this is Louis's only shot at a shot at a <laughs> WWF singles title. Seven, uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon title <laughs> shot. Barry Horowitz would eliminate Candido as part of their storyline, which Louis will later get involved in. Uh, Louis gets eliminated on commercial break <laughs> by Bam Bam Bigelow. You deserve better, Louis. Uh, the final two are Marty Jannetty and Owen, who goes on to win it after some British bulldog interference. So after this, Louie would join up with the Body Donnas as a Body Donna in training, which apparently was an idea that Louie himself had thought up. I thought it was a weird angle because this was Louie in like the best shape of his career, <laughs> and he was supposed to be like a dumpy fat guy. Like WCW, Louie could have done this, but not Rad Radford, right? Like, yeah, but I mean, it, it, that was like the the weird thing too is like people always criticize well. Like, why couldn't ECW Candido be the Body Donna Candido? Because Candido was in way better shape in yeah. ECW yeah. than he was when he was wearing the powder blue singlet. And so you see uh, Rad Radford be like, I need to get in shape. He's like, well, yeah, you're not that far off from Chris right now. You guys are kind of <laughs> pretty in the exact same shape. Yeah. So to say that he was dumpier than each other, I mean, they're, they're both bigger guys. Yeah. But at the same time, too, like, jacked and chiseled yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i was gonna say if Isn't you're not it, jacked and chiseled you'll always look fat in the wrestling world yeah but uh not so much in 95 but definitely now you can go on instagram and there's guys that look better than guys in wwf right not so much in 1995 he'd be part of the 1995 survivor series which is something we touched on during our candido episode they opened up the pay-per-view with Sonny doing intros. It's Rad Radford, Skip, Sonny, and Tom Pritchard's pre-zip and haircut days. And the newly hill 1-2-3 kid with manager Ted DiBiase. Just a whole posse of people. They take on Barry Horowitz, Hakushi, Marty Jannetty, and the race car driver gimmick Bob Holly. Louie got a lot of ring time in this match and kind of steals the show. He even got a little love from Mr. Perfect on commentary, which I was made me kind of pumped. Louie uh, gets an elimination on Hakushi before getting eliminated himself with a Barry Horowitz roll-up while doing push-ups under Skip's direction. Which I want to touch on your uh, Mr. Perfect doing commentary. Him giving a compliment is pretty good because Henning's commentary was basically seven minutes of silence. And then that wrestle move was pretty good. <laughs> but it wasn't perfect. So Rad Radford would eventually be kicked out of the Body Donnas following a tag team title loss to the Smoking Guns on December 23rd, 1995 on an episode of Superstars. Where were you guys? <laughs> <laughs> Where were you guys with that? Just the way you said that date sounded a lot of importance. 9-11, <laughs> uh, JFK getting his head blown off. And, and this episode of Superstars. Uh, 
After the loss, Sonny blames Rad, kicks him out, slaps him, and Skip attacks him from behind. Which you think, if you remember the body Donna's Sonny and Candido, they were so over as hills. You would think this would have set Rad Radford up for like a really cool face run. Right. But after that, he would mainly spend time being the first guy to work with a very, very green Ahmed Johnson at house shows until 96. Mm. Um, they'd, <laughs> they, they even had I a, hope that sound came across I, on the podcast. I, I, I'm, <laughs> having fla- I'm having flashbacks to every indie show where I walk in and they go, oh, you're wrestling this guy. Oh, you mean this big six foot four jacked up guy? I'm wrestling him? How long has he been wrestling? I'm guessing it's under two years. Six months. Bing, bing, bing. <laughs> Does he, have a really, does he have a really dangerous finisher? Sweet! <laughs> oh, sit out powerbomb, and he bottoms out the ring before I ever hit it? Fantastic. Put me in the ring with him. They'd even had a match on Raw together, and Louis makes Ahmed look like, I'm not going to say a million dollars, I will say a professional wrestler. Um, but true. Ahmed didn't exactly take care of Louis in the ring. Which leads to two conflicting stories to Louis' health problems and why he left the WWE, or was rather let go from. So, Ahmed had been dropping him on the back of his head, sometimes knocking him completely unconscious mid-match, which led to bleeding on the back of his brain, which led to a seizure, which led to Louis passing out in his lawn, being found by a neighbor, Louis waking up in the hospital. This is the story he told in his RF shoot video. And according to that, he wasn't even drinking. So there's that story. Also in 1996, rumors of Louis' drug use had made it to the front office, which leads to story number two. Spicoli was found unconscious by his neighbor after overdosing on somas and suffering a seizure. It was reported that he had 55 somas in his system at the time. It was rumored that he could do 85. Ugh. I mean, that's not the fucking Nathan hot dog eating contest. Uh, Why? Funny story. Is it? No, no, no. (laughs) Funny story about somas. Obviously, us being wrestling fans, we know what somas are. Yeah. I used to date a police officer, and when I told her about... Somos, and I, and I said it just kind of in passing, as we as we would like, oh, this person you know, died Does because of so alcohol so. and somas, or they were looking for somas. She looked at me and was like, "What are somas?" Wow, a cop. And I go, "You're a cop. <laughs> you bust people for drugs, and this drug that kills people that people are selling illegally. You have no idea what the street term is. Like, was she so, a rookie? No, <laughs> ten year no. member of CMPD. Shit." So after eight years of working with WWF on and on, they let him go at this point, and his last match ever would be him losing to Henry Godwin at a house show in New Haven, Connecticut, January 6th, 1996. And a lot of talk that I read and heard here was this was right after WWF got reamed for the steroids and the, the, the drug trial, all that, and for some one of their guys to get hospitalized yeah. for doing too many drugs, they weren't going to keep them around. Right? Peace, you're out of here. Yeah, yeah that's, that's always the speculation that you, you want to get. And I'm sure there was probably was, there was a conversation of reaching out for him to get help, and I would imagine he was like, oh, I don't have a problem. I don't know why you guys are assuming this. And that's typical yeah. drug behavior, right. unfortunately. Even though WWF let him go, he still somehow had a non-compete clause with WCW, so he couldn't go there. And after a couple stops on indie promotions, Louis would go on to find a home, debuting July 1996 in Extreme Championship Wrestling, 
winning his first match against El Puerto Ricano. Well, with Pablo Marquez, who is probably the best ECW jobber to make everybody's finisher look like $5,000 million. <laughs> like, the total elimination that, that Saturn and Kronos hit on uh, Pablo Marquez is the best. It's the one in the ECW highlight video at the beginning of their show every time. If you're not familiar with Louie and you've only seen him get squashed by Arn Anderson in the late 80s, ECW is where you should discover him. Like, yeah. Louie got to go out and just be himself. <clears throat> he wasn't Rad Radford. He wasn't on the bad side of a squash match. He got to go be a wrestler and try to get himself over completely on his own. Which he did. Yeah, which, which he, he did. totally did. Louie cut his grungy blonde hair. He changed his finisher move to the Spicoli driver. And pretty much right away got a few shots at Shane Douglas's ECW TV title, including a match you can find on the network's Hardcore TV 178. It's 19 minutes and 22 seconds, which has to be his longest match uh, at this point, and maybe in his career, at least on TV, oh, no, for I, sure. I guarantee you in AAA he wrestled. Oh, yeah, I guarantee <laughs> yeah, there is there were some, some matches in Oaxaca or Two out of three falls, six-man. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I guarantee in yeah. Mexico he put on some 30-minute, maybe yeah. even some almost hour-long matches. But comparing it against WWF, I mean, I'm sure oh, yeah. most of his matches are five minutes and under. And then when and he was with the him. Body Donnas, maybe he got like some 12s in there. And this is just him working. No yeah. one else. It's just him doing single stuff. So, Louie would be part of a Loser Leaves Town match against Too Cold Scorpio at November to Remember 96. Scorpio did a few short matches where he says whoever loses has to leave ECW for X amount of days. It progressively goes up like one week, one month. He, He beats Devin Storm. He has to leave for 15 days. He beats JT Smith with a moonsault, so he has to leave for 30 days. He beats Hack Myers, who has to leave for 60. Then he would face Louie, and they're gambling leaving ECW for one year. Louie comes out, hits him with a Spicoli driver. Too cold, has to leave for a year, which in reality he was going to WWF. Which I, I like uh, Too Cold's uh, promo when he comes out at first. Like, Louie, you know you want to go back to WWF. Come on with me. We're, you're going to be my mystery partner at Survivor Series tomorrow night. Come on, Louie. Just, just, just lose and do it. Over the next few months, Louie would work with all the big ECW guys. Sabu, Stevie Richards, Candido, Boss Mahoney, and eventually have a feud with Tommy Dreamer. Great Dreamer, uh, Louie spot. Uh, the Buffalo Invasion show. They brawl the way up to the top of the uh, arena. And uh, Louis crotches Dreamer, and he throws Dreamer down 20 fucking bleacher seats, and Dreamer tumbles down the entire thing. It is a true holy shit spot. And I think Joey gives a, is he dead? <laughs> and that feud would end in an I Quit match June 20th, 1997, which you can find on ECW Hardcore TV 218. And Rick Root is on commentary, so yeah. you know it's good. Before the match, Tommy is attacked by Sabu and RVD, but Louie heads down to the ring anyways, mic in hand, and starts attacking Dreamer and asking him if he quits. But he doesn't, and after Dreamer grabs a wrench and latches on to Louie's man parts, Louie quits. So, you know, you can't... Sorry, I want to be be a wrestling dickhead here. It's pliers. He has pliers, Uh, and he grabs Louie's balls. Well... (laughs) (laughs) Now Nick's mad. (laughs) It wasn't long after this, uh, Louis would start getting a little heat with Paul Heyman. Apparently, Louis' drug use was becoming an issue again. And if you're doing too many drugs for ECW, goddamn. Another issue that Paul had with Louis is apparently he had been talking to 
WCW and WWF behind Paul's back, that slut. They kind of touch on this during the shoot. Apparently, Kevin Sullivan felt slighted by Louis because he turned down his WCW offer, so he went and told Paul Heyman on him. Eventually, Louis would part way with ECW, and what that I found, his last match was ECW Born to be Wired against Mikey Whipwreck. Yeah. August 9th, 97, and don't tell Vince McMahon, but the entire pay-per-view is on Daily Motion. Mikey lands, or he misses, one of the most brutal, over-the-top somersaults I have ever seen. Like, he, his legs hit nothing but guardrail, <laughs> and his head hits nothing but concrete. Yeah, it's it really is bad. nuts. It's I don't really, know. You saw yeah, it? Yeah, I watched, I, yeah. He gets, he gets back... And uh, Frankensteiner's Louie for the win. And I wonder if it was a, like, I'm dead. Like, we gotta end this, like, right now. Sorry, Frank and Mikey. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) After leaving ECW, about a month later, Louie did end up signing with WCW, so you can calm the fuck down, Kevin Sullivan. Louie would win his debut TV match against Chavo on WCW Saturday night, October of 97. And a month later, he'd be part of the Three Ring Battle Royal at World War Three. And I am such a fucking mark for this match. And how long did he last in the he, match? I he, think it's like eight seconds. He, it was thirty. He lasted thirty seconds. You, did you time it? Because yeah, I'm going yeah. with fifteen and below. It was. He didn't last very long. <laughs> okay. Louis would be part of the first ever WCW Thunder, January 8th of 98 in Daytona Beach, Florida, and he'd face a aging Rick Martel. Say um, aging, but still graceful as fuck. Like, he <laughs> was putting some great matches with Booker T at the time. Yeah, he got the title shot and sold out that right after that. He would lose to Martel, Quebec Crab. And with losing against Martel, pretty much, you know, at a very publicized event, such as the first ever Thunder, uh, it's probably safe to say they weren't going to give him a big push. He was more of a warm body. Oh, wow, they didn't do Bret Hart any favors at yeah. WCW. They so, didn't like, know what they were they doing. Were prob- they, they probably thought, we're going to give you the Bret Hart push in WCW. <laughs> Louis did some commentary in WCW, crushing it with his wit and humor until he made a wee bit of an Oklahoma City bombing joke on air and was removed. So it's safe to say that joke? Nope. Nope, don't do it. Nope. Nope. Didn't go very well. That's right. That's a safer landing. (laughs) I thought you were going to say he's the Gilbert Godfrey (laughs) of commentary, (laughs) Mr. Too Soon. So Louie would eventually become a lackey for one of his old WWF buddies, Scott Hall, in the NWO. Around January of 98, Scott Hall had been in a feud with the living legend Larry Zabisco. And on WCW Thunder, January 15th of 98... Number two. Hall was going to face Louie until Hall asked him, is he for WCW or NWO? Louie fanboyed out on the mic, which brought out Larry... Larry eventually gets in the ring, but Louie attacks him from behind. Louie would join Hall in his feud with Larry. As part of the uh, angle, Spicoli stole Zabisco's golf clubs, bringing him down to the ring and breaking them over his knee as Hall did jokes on the mic. If you only knew how much Larry Zabisco loved golfing. (laughs) Like, you laugh, like, oh, he just broke his golf clubs, whatever. No, 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 no. There are a few things that Larry Zabisco holds near and dear to his heart. One is golfing, the other is his coffee. 
So don't fuck with his coffee and don't fuck with his golf clubs. So. Was there a coffee spot in the feud? Because no, no, not in this feud. I, I mean, it, I, it, it should have came. I'm just saying it would probably hopefully. I came. I have heard of stories of Larry Gabisco losing his mind over somebody possibly stealing his coffee at his house. <laughs> okay. I've also heard him bitch. stealing his coffee. Have, at his uh, house. Yes, he accused somebody who was staying at his house of, of taking his coffee because he had <laughs> personal coffee. Not that his he, money or his jewelry. Yeah, his n- coffee. His coffee, and then also there's been. A wrestling show that I've been at, he was bitching at in Miami. He goes, "Why can't you find a good cup of coffee in this town?" Everybody's like, "You want an americano?" Americano's like, "No, I want a goddamn cup of coffee." American. <laughs> he did not take after Bruno in that aspect. No, no, that's why he was the heel in the feud with yeah. Bruno. So, so on February 9th, nineteen ninety-eight, on Monday Nitro, Louis did commentary. He also had a match against gentleman Chris Adams. That match followed the infamous match between Goldberg and William Regal. Louis carried Zabisco's bag and briefcase, which he had stolen. Uh, they set that up earlier on commentary. So all this was supposed to lead to a match between Spicoli and Larry at Super Brawl 8 in February of 98. But sadly for Louis, that match would never happen, and this match against Chris Adams would be Louis Spicoli's last match ever. Louis loses via DQ, hitting Chris with Larry Zabisco's briefcase, which brings out Larry to chase Louis to the back. So Louis had actually quit drugs, cold turkey, when he joined WCW, kind of had a new lease on life, but unfortunately his mother got terminal cancer, and this led to him crashing and a relapse. Which is sadly understandable. Yeah. This relapse would prove fatal, which is often the case. You get clean, so your tolerance goes down. You relapse, you do your normal amount of shit, and you can't handle it anymore. Mm. On February 15th, 1998, Spicoli's friend John Hanna found Louis dead in his San Diego home, in his system, just 26 somas, chased down by wine, causing him to vomit and asphyxiate in his sleep, a death very similar to Jimi Hendrix. And just like Hendrix, Louis Mochiolo was just 27 years old. I think that's the youngest we've covered so far. And unfortunately, it won't be the last time we discuss a wrestler who took somas and was drinking and choked on their own vomit in the middle of the night. Unfortunately, that was, especially during this time in the late 90s, early 2000s, there were a lot of guys that went out like that. And uh, I'm surprised there wasn't more, to be really quite honest. Do you still see this shit in locker rooms? No. No, it's really changed? Yeah, it's it's a completely different story. But I, but I, but I will say this, you know. I mean, there there could have been a few casualties during my time, it, it, but it all comes back to romanticizing, right? The yeah, idea yeah, of totally. like just take some pain pills and go down the yeah, road, yeah, you know. Yeah. And and I've been around guys that talk like that, but luckily they're all sober individuals now. Like I remember Road Dog just popping a bunch of pills and having some beers right before he wrestled, and now yeah. he's clear headed and sober, and he's got his life all the way around. Yeah. I, and I remember Jimmy Jacobs telling a story about he would come into locker rooms and, t- and go, who's got pills? Who's got pills? Mm-hmm. And I even remember Zach Gowan being a pill hound as well. And all those guys have turned their life around because, and it, I think a lot of them because of they realized how out of control they were. But also, too, some of them were like, this is dumb. 
why are we doing this? Yeah, I, the, and and it, it's like we know people die from this. What we're trying to romanticize? We're trying to be like Harley Race having a twelve pack driving from town to town. Like, what are we doing here? Like, what are, we're we're trying to be rock stars? What are we trying to do? Like, like trying to be like Jimi Hendrix? Obviously, what's going on here? That's what I don't understand with like Louis doing fifty somas, eighty eight somas. Like, what the fuck? Like, well, because you're an athlete. You take trust me. Like that was that was the problem when I was drinking. Yeah. That's that's why. It, I can do more. I had, you know, three. Do you need more? Or is it just like a personal challenge to say like, hey, I fucking did 60 somas and I'm I, good. I assume there's some amount of like machismo where it's yeah. like, uh, he did well, 100. Like, well, you know. when, you're, when, you're, when you're involved in entertainment or, or some sort of athletics, you're trying, you're always pushing to the edge. Right. Athletically. But you're also pushing to the edge in everything that you do. Yeah. So if you have a vice, you're pushing the vice to the edge. And I remember two very clear times in my life where drinking got out of hand where I could no longer get drunk off of the amount of whiskey I was drinking every night, which was a fifth every single night. So I went... You, you didn't even feel drunk? No, I could probably drive and I'd be fine. And Jesus Christ. So I started drinking Everclear and orange juice. Jesus. And, yeah, and, you and, should be dead. And they'd be mixed half and half. Jesus fuck, dude. And that was the only way I could catch a bus. Because yeah. I was pushing it to the limit because I pushed everything to the limit. Oh and that's then that's how you get guys doing... Not two somas, not three, yeah. but like 20, 30, 80. Because every time you're like, well, this was good. But, you know, if I take 10 more, I'll feel even better. And that's how it just cycles through. Okay. I just like even just like your stock, it's going to be like, oh, I took 80. I need yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like 300 more. Yeah. Like, God damn, man. That's, mm-hmm. Pills are the one thing. I just I don't understand it. And it's so fucking scary because it's like messing with science, you know? It's If you mix baking soda and vinegar, it's going to volcano. It's going to do the thing. <laughs> if you mix all these fucking mm. pills together, just it's going to do something in you that's not good, you know? But you hear about it all the time. This, As long as this podcast goes, we'll cover this 500 times. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, I feel for the most part that most people have kind of gotten the message and woken up. And, and that's why you... Mm. That's why... Guys make fun of it now, like old timers, but as somebody that's kind of essentially been caught between both worlds and seeing the guys asking for the pills in the locker room, it's like, oh, I got a real messed up back. Can you get me some of this? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, now being an era where guys are bringing Nintendo 64s and trying to figure out how they can hook it up on the flat screen in the back so they can play video games in the back as opposed to looking for pills. I'll take the video game players, even though I don't fall in that that group of guys. I'll take a locker room full of guys that uh, just a bunch of nerds, just a bunch of nerds <laughs> that want to play video games on the road. That take their the video game systems so they can play them in the hotel at the end of the night, as opposed to let's get super drunk and drive down the road. That's I'll take the video game players all day every day. That's what I think. New Jack kind of shooter. I mean, say what you want about New Jack and his shit, but he. He was getting interviewed by, uh, God, I can't remember the dude, but it's... It was Hannibal TV? Yeah, the yeah. Hannibal TV dude. But it was, he asked, he asked him, he was like, so did you guys like really have that moment where you sit back and realize, oh shit, maybe we should quit doing this? He was like, no, no, we didn't do that. And then uh, and he's making a joke. He's like, we're, yeah, we're doing lines on his fucking casket. And it was, they were all laughing. And it, I get the point, but it was still like, you could feel like they, 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 they didn't give a fuck. It didn't, nothing, nothing could impact them or hit them hard enough until they were dead and they couldn't have a thought. But there is one person, and if we can pull 
any positive out of uh, you know the tragedy that was Louis's death it served as a major wake-up call for rob van dam uh, yep uh, rob was on that road where he was mixing all kinds of pills and chasing it with alcohol and when Louis died he quit a decision that most likely saved rvd's life all right, so we're at the end here. It's not a very cheery end. Uh, we, I don't have any jokes to save uh, a 27-year-old fucking ODing. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, on the Nitro after Louis' death, Shivani brings up Louis' death around the 12-minute mark. They do the opener on Nitro that Louis died. They do the whole freeze-frame screen. And Shivani cuts to Zabisco, and he asks about his thoughts about him. And Zabisco, he says, well, I have some comments about him, but in respect to Louis' family, I'm just going to leave that alone. That was because he was keeping kayfabe. I know. That's like, I mean, he's still going to fucking do kayfabe at that point. Yeah, I think Larry said that was one of his biggest regrets. I could be wrong on that, that he felt very bad about that. That stood out, because I think, or the rumor was that he was going to then do a program with Hall, but then Hall said, fuck him because of his comments. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. What do you, you have an opinion on that? Jake? I don't know. You go either way. I, knowing Louie and how much he loved wrestling, I think he probably appreciated yeah, it. Yeah, I think he would have. I think he would have I think, thanks for All carrying right. on the heat in case, yeah, yeah. He, and Louie might be like, hey, Mick, you never know, I might come back. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> See, that, that's a great point, because it's like, if uh, a comedian dies... Make every fucking bad joke about me yeah, when I'm yeah, dead. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, in that regard, I can see that. But I don't know. It just it listening to it, it's like it's kind of like really you can't say one nice thing on yeah. TV. But it makes a, the kayfabe thing in regards to Louis and his respect for the business. I can I can understand. It's interesting that you said Larry thought that. So that's. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure looking back, he'd be like, ah, I probably should have said something nice. But at the same time, too, he probably realized, well, Louis probably appreciates that we keep the heat going. <laughs> yeah. You know, like at least I would. I would definitely. It's true. Any, good point. I didn't think about it. I hope Scott Dawson still trashes me when I die. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, so that we, we can secretly still text each other, you know, happy birthday and good luck to you, man. And good. Uh, going back to the comedian thing, I remember when Ralphie May died, Doug Stanhope found an old text that Ralphie May posted and said, when I die, roast the shit out of me. And then Stanhope did like a full Twitter thing of just roasting Ralphie May. And he's like, there you go, bud. Yeah, because you're thinking of them. Yep. You know? And if you're still actively keeping the heat, you're still thinking of them. <laughs> Alright, so final thoughts on Louis Spicoli. Obviously, a sad story of a really good worker. He seemed like a very funny dude. Good mind for humor, for wrestling. We'll never know what he could have been in his 30s. Like, you know, he could have been a key figure in training people and backstage development. Think if Louis could have stuck around and stumbled across something like Chikara. Like, his mind for wrestling and comedy. And, like, I think it would have been amazing. Pillman and Louis died right around the same time. Isn't that right? Kind of. I, I, I think Louis was the first one that, like, going on the message boards and being that lonely movie and uh, wrestling nerd, hearing about Louis dying and tape trading uh, stuff on the internet and seeing the, the Louis stuff with Tim and Dreamer. And just his death really was the first one. was like, oh, shit, man. I really like that dude. Now he's fucking dead and he was so young. I remember Louis' death really hit me hard for the first time and all the wrestling deaths that would come every year since then. Rob talks about how Louis loved uh, 90210, and he also said he loved The Simpsons. And I was like, oh, fuck, I love Louis even more now because <laughs> The Simpsons is my favorite damn show of all time. And just since the humor-wise, like, it makes sense. 
hey, if you like The Simpsons, you're gonna have a good sense of humor and you know how, you're gonna know how to make people laugh. And Louie knew how to make people laugh. And he was one of those dudes, whenever there was a segment or anything, I just wanted to see what he did because he was an interesting performer, an interesting human being. Spicoli driver for life, man. Yeah, and obviously his effect, like, Dreamer still does the Death Valley driver, but he calls it the Spicoli driver as as a tribute to a guy he feuded with for just a short, brief period of time. So you can imagine if you knew him for 10 years, how people feel about him. And yeah, as you said before, he'd be great in training guys, but not just like the spots and stuff like that, but the idea of character development. And we just talked about the depth of Louis Spicoli and Madonna's boyfriend. It just the, the whole connection of Sean Penn and circling back around. Obviously, his mind worked like that. And I think that's what is kind of missing with a lot of guys is just a full-on character development. You don't see a lot of guys training people in that. And, and that's something that I, I try to instill in my training classes. And, and I think there's so, mostly because I think there's so few people doing that. I think if Lulu was around today, he'd be instilling that type of knowledge, far better knowledge that I could give out for sure. But uh, yeah, he always made, my sm- made me smile every time I saw him on TV, especially the body Donna stuff. Like that's just <laughs> right in the sweet spot of my life. Like I enjoyed every bit of it. Like, I mean, I tried to I poke holes in it earlier, but gosh, it was so entertaining. It was so fun to see him with that. I would have loved to have seen Rad Radford and Candido have a run of the tag team titles, but just great overall dude and just love going back and, and looking at all the stuff he does, especially all the ECW stuff. But guys, I must let you know about something. We have a new development, and I'm glad this, this podcast came when it did and, and not very early in our run because I have some information that I've collected from Zane Rowley and George South. Recent developments that have uh, matriculated in the last few months of 2018. At an AML show in High Point, North Carolina, a man showed up and claimed to be Louis Spicoli. Oh, shit. (laughs) Fuck. And was looking for work as Louis Spicoli. What? And claimed that he faked his death because Vince was out to kill him because he knew some shit about him. Wow. And showed up multiple times at AML shows here in North Carolina, claiming he was Louis Spicoli and was looking for work to wrestle as Louis Spicoli and introduce himself to everybody, wrestlers, fans, anybody that would listen as Louis Spicoli. Even one time walking up to Too Cold Scorpio and said, hey, it's me, Louis Spicoli. (laughs) To which Too Cold Scorpio said, man, it's great to see you again. (laughs) I haven't really been able to confirm if Too Cold was being polite or just super high. I have no clue. Uh, the man showed up multiple times at AML shows, like I said, uh, but then stopped showing up when George called his family a idiot. Not each one of his family members a idiot. He said the whole family singularly a idiot. Your and lineage. Since then, the man has not been seen again. So little bit of conspiracy theory uh, maybe out Andy there uh, just yeah. some kind of breaking news exclusive here i don't think this is reported anywhere else i don't think peter by insider has picked this up or any other news source uh, oh. i doubt dave Meltzer will but it's here exclusively on 10 bell pod turn into a dirt sheet podcast oh yeah wow just share that little nugget of information for that you. is awesome maybe that that's makes good, it real good yeah it's gonna that's when you know you've made it when someone <laughs> pretends to be you after your death <clears throat> All right, uh, before we completely wrap up here, tomorrow, if you're in the Huntsville, Alabama area, come see me at Epic Comedy Hour at the Flying Monkey Theater. I will be doing a set there. 
And Nick hadn't done comedy in a while, so it'll probably be pretty interesting. <laughs> you come see me bomb at the Flying Monkey Theater in Huntsville, Alabama. Okay. This is coming out the 24th. Yeah. Am I correct? Okay. Well, um, then... Today. Later today, Jake. Later yeah. today? Kayfabe. Kayfabe. All right. Well, Don't say kayfabe. Tell you what. Kayfabe, you idiots. <laughs> next, next week, uh, February 1st, I will be doing 10 Buck Comedy in Atlanta. Oh, nice. No I, shit. I figured I'd just bring that on you yeah, in midair. No I'll come watch you. Yeah, I'll be there at 10. Where, where at? Highland Ballroom. Oh, Highland Ballroom. oh, you said that. Yes. Uh, I, be, I will be thing. going to Atlanta Super Bowl weekend. Like a real <laughs> moron. And then the next day, I will be doing Disruptor Pro in uh, Livonia, Georgia. It'll be look, Cornelia, Georgia. Excuse me. Cornelia, Georgia for Disruptor Pro February 2nd. So make sure you show up for that. Um, I don't have anything, but I want to say if you're listening to this, two days ago was the Peanut Butter Solution at Cult Movies in the Cave at Vizart. Um, you should have been there. It was fucking awesome. <laughs> All right. Hey, if you want to donate, if you want to help us keep doing this podcast, patreon.com slash Pod. We have some cool stuff there. At Pod on all the social medias. Check out TimBellPod.com. Jake is man scoot manning. Really? I'm gonna start messing yours up. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> now that you nailed his, you gotta mess mine up. Man scout, please don't mess it up because people mess up and make man scout one word. Okay. Jake and, didn't realize that was a bit, by the way, and his eyes actually flicked up. So Sorry, bad. what? <laughs> what is that? What? I got super Scoots? I super hot. Don't make me go back to scheduling tweets that let people know that man scout is two words and not one. It's hard enough as it is because it's all one word on your Twitter handle, and people just some oh, okay, man scout's just one word, but no. Manscout Manning is not all one word either. <laughs> they are three different words. Manscout at Manscout Manning, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, there you go. Do not poke the bear. All right. This is 10 Bell Pod. Andy's coming. Act like a toy. <laughs> <laughs>